0: We have a student. She's a senior. Uh, She's going to share her story and what God's doing in her life. So give it up for Megan.
1: Hey, thanks, Chad. Um, So like Chad said, I'm a senior, and I'm just going to very quickly walk you through my four years at OSU. So my freshman year, I was dual enrolled with Lynn Benton, and I played basketball. I that I would find community on that team, but I ended up being depressed and alone. It was not the community that I expected. I started searching um, and looking to God for my help at that time, and eventually I decided to stop playing in order to seek a godly community. Fall term, COVID was happening for everybody, and so I was completely online, but I looked on Real Life's Instagram and found a small group, and I started going to small group. It was the first time that I noticed a difference in contentment and joy and friendship, but I didn't believe that it was real or genuine, and I definitely didn't believe that it could be for me. I was also living with my boyfriend at the time, who I had been dating since my senior year in high school down in Eugene. So I was living in the world, but wanting joy. Spring, spring term that year, I almost broke up with my boyfriend, and my heart was absolutely torn in two. God had been softening my heart and showing me the love that he had for me. And I loved God more than anything, but I also loved Max more than anything. I didn't understand why he was tearing my heart in half. At Shasta that year, I pleaded with God and I recommitted myself to pursuing God first and leading others in my life to him. And I was rebaptized. And then I went back to my boyfriend and Eugene. My junior year, we moved to Monmouth together. Max was on the track team at Western. And I still wanted both. I was trying to make it work on my own with my relationship with both Max and God, but through my small group and through listening to the Bible on my daily commute from Monmouth to Corvallis, God was softening my heart. My relationship with Max was going great, but I began to notice that I was missing the fullness that God wanted to give me. I started to notice that there was a lack, especially in my relationship with Max because he didn't share the same beliefs. Then Max committed to Washington State um, for their track team, and he moved up to Washington, and I now had the opportunity to branch out and find more community and move to Corvallis. I wasn't sure exactly where I would live. Housing is obviously very difficult in Corvallis. And I wanted mentorship and Christian roommates, but I also wanted people that were comfortable with my sin so that when Max came to visit, he'd be able to stay with me. Through a friend of a friend of a friend, the house I'm currently in was shown to me through Instagram. And there's no other way to explain how I got there except that God made it happen. I knew it would be difficult being long-distance, and so I wanted some support from my roommates, and ultimately I chose the mentorship over people that would just be comfortable with my sin, but I had no idea what that entailed. Then I moved to Corvallis and started going to summer real life. Up until this point, I had been going to small group for two years, but Nikolai likes to call me a closet real lifer. And then when Max moved... (laughs) When Max moved in August this past summer, I immediately started having panic attacks and anxiety, which I had never experienced before. That lasted a little over a month. And then classes started, and real life started back up. And I started assessing my life, and just looking around at the joy that everybody had that I wanted, and I had no idea where it came from. And as I assessed that, I found that the common denominator was not alcohol, like my family would like me to believe. It wasn't sports that my coaches and parents wanted me to believe. It's not sexual relationships or a busy social life like the world wants you to believe. I realized that I was tethering myself to the world while looking for a joy that only God can give. And as God changed my heart, he called me to break up with Max after being together for nearly four years. This was one of the hardest trials I had ever been through, but the Lord was so faithful, so loving, so patient, and so protective Of my heart during that time he provided me with joy in the midst of my sorrow peace and comfort when i was alone and so much more blessing than i had ever imagined was possible for myself most of all he made me a new creation with a new identity there was a lot of fear in every step there was also faithful obedience and a lot of stretching but God also provided beyond what I could have ever orchestrated on my own, and he was clearing the path before me before I even realized what he was doing. Community is really hard, and it can be really scary, but I would encourage you that God is faithful, and he wants to bless you if you're willing to let him. God, I just thank you so much for community and for every single person in this room and for bringing them here tonight and for doing things in their lives that they might not even notice yet that they'll look back on in four years and see God was there and God was moving and God was clearing away for me and protecting me and um I just pray that every single person in this room would know how much they are loved by you Lord and that you see past their sin and you see past their shortcomings and that you've covered them and um I just pray that this would become so well known within their hearts and such an unshakable truth that they could stand firmly on, even when they mess up and even when things get difficult. And I just pray that you would be there for them and protect them and comfort them, Lord, and bring people alongside of them that could do the same. I pray over Nemo and the rest of our night, and I just bless you and or praise you and thank you for everything that you're doing, Lord. Amen. Hey, thanks. That was awesome.
0: Yeah, give her another round, hot round of applause. It takes a lot of courage to, to share your story, and, and Megan, man, you're such a key leader here, so we're going to miss you next She's going to be going to nursing school, and so, but man, that takes a lot of courage. Thanks for sharing. God's done so much in your life, and I know many of you else have experienced, I love that, that we're calling this series No Greater Love, because I know many of you have experienced that love, and many of you haven't yet, but you can. Uh, he's reaching out, and I think uh, you're going to be blessed by the message tonight. I get to introduce uh, Nemo, so come on up, Nemo, give it up. <laughs> Nemo's short for Nehemiah, but uh, we met, was it week one of your freshman year? Welcome week. Welcome week. So his freshman year, picture of freshman Nemo. Looked the same. Nothing. <laughs> no, no. Not <laughs> but I remember we, sometimes we announced, hey, we're going tabling. We're, you know, we're, real life's tabling out at the SEC Plaza. And we'll announce, hey, come join us. Tabling simply means we put a table out with some flyers and some coffee on it and talk to people. And he's the guy that walked up and I got to talk to him. And God has just had him knitted into this community since, and he's been just as a student, and we've seen him grow so much, and now this year he's been kind of helping lead the small groups. And so we're so thankful for him, and we're excited that God's just given him the gift of uh, teaching, and so we're excited for him just to, to share the next section of Scripture. So again, give it up for Nemo. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Real Life. If this
2: is your first time here... We love to have you here, so just thank you for coming tonight. And I uh, hope you all had a good Easter. Um, I know for myself, I definitely had a good Easter. After going to church, I went to the Enchanted Forest, which is like Oregon's version of Disneyland, but nowhere, <laughs> nowhere near the same experience, and it was like pouring down rain. But that's Oregon for you, and <laughs> still had a good time. Uh, some of you guys don't know me at all. And that's okay. You maybe are going to get to know me a little bit better tonight. Some of you know me pretty well and have known me for the past four years. Where's my small group guys at? Let's go. Thanks for coming. <laughs> All right. Like Chad was saying, this term we've been going through John chapters 13 through 17. And uh, today we're going to be going through the last half of chapter 13, which. Um, As Chad was saying, last week we were going through that, and um, we found out that they were observing the Passover in Jerusalem, and before they ate, Jesus washed his disciples' feet as an example of serving one another. And then Jesus tells his disciples that one of them will betray him. And that's where we pick up tonight with Jesus' betrayer, Judas Iscariot. Uh, Before we start, I'd just like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this um, opportunity to all come together tonight, Lord, as believers, and Lord, I just pray that your word would just reveal your will to us, Lord, and that we just be able to feel your love, and Lord, your word is living and powerful, Lord, and I just pray that um, as we go through it tonight, Lord, that we just be seeing things we haven't seen before, Lord, that it'd be revealed to us in a completely new way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you guys want to open up to John 13, verse 21, I believe it's up on the screen. Thank you to Caleb for making those slides. I did not do that. <laughs> All right. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. now, outside of this interaction and the betrayal scene later in John chapter 18, there's not a lot of mention of Judas. Um, a lot of you probably know only two things about him: he was Jesus's betrayer, and he had a love for money. He was actually the treasurer of the twelve disciples, in fact, and that was meaning that he was the steward of the money. Back then, they didn't have debit cards to just carry around easily. Jesus or Judas actually had to carry around like a money bag, and like whenever they'd get food actually have to like break out the money, take it to where you know, they were buying food. So it was an actual sort of job for him. Um, and Judas was first mentioned in John 6, 68 through 71. And we are told that even then, three years prior, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him eventually. Matthew 26, 14 through 16 tells us a little bit more context. And that's that just two days prior to the Passover, two days before where we're reading tonight, Judas had interacted with the high-ranking Jews and already willingly considered how he might betray Jesus. He accepted a promise of money, 30 pieces of silver, and was seeking an opportunity to catch Jesus away from a multitude of people. The Pharisees and other Jews at that time had been looking for a way to take out Jesus throughout his entire ministry and were delighted to have someone from his inner circle betray him. This is important in showing that Jesus wasn't selecting Judas as his betrayer when he handed him the morsel of bread. Judas was already well on his way down a dark path. Rather than motivation by money, the book of John pays closer attention to the spiritual nature of this interaction. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to have a fellowship with someone that you would know will betray you? However, Jesus didn't keep his enemy at a distance. Do you distance yourself from your enemies? During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to love your enemy, and he modeled it. Those of the world stand against us, yet they're the very ones that need to see our love the most. We are called to love them and pray for them, not push them away. What do you call a room full of evil sinners? A mission field. Probably not the answer you were expecting, but it's true. If we don't show them Jesus, who will? Just last week, we talked about how Judah, or how Jesus washed Judas' feet as an act of love, giving Judas one of countless opportunities to turn away from his intent to betray. Jesus may have even been speaking directly to him through John chapter 13 with a troubled heart because of his concern for him. But Judas had too hard of a heart to be affected. From our passage tonight, we know that Judas was physically close enough to Jesus to interact with him without everyone else knowing what they were talking about. We know this because not all of the Gospels record this interaction. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, which is in verse 23, refers to John, the author himself. He asked Jesus who the betrayer was after being prompted by Peter this was not a question asked aloud, otherwise Peter wouldn't have gone the discreet route and did the discreet route and would have just asked himself. This is why the book of John records this moment in such detail. Matthew also records this interaction similarly. The fact that Jesus didn't answer the question loudly and seemingly only tells John and Judas is significant because it shows that Jesus' purpose in this moment was not to expose Judas as the betrayer or to cause division. In Matthew's account of this interaction, we see each of the disciples ask if they are the betrayer. It was unthinkable to them that anyone would intentionally betray Jesus. So they began to wonder if they might do it accidentally. Even Judas said, surely not I. Judas had fooled some of his fellow disciples, but Jesus made made it clear He could see his heart and also revealed he wasn't being taken by surprise. At the time, it was customary action for the host to offer a morsel of bread to an honored guest as a mark of divine love, which seeks to overcome evil with good. After Judas accepted the morsel of bread and did not repent, Jesus knew Judas had made a choice to reject his love and subtly told him to leave. This was a man who witnessed countless miracles, heard his teachings in person, and had personal fellowship with Jesus, yet he did not place his trust in Christ. He was even present for the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six twenty four, when Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." You may have heard the saying, sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to you pay. It likely started out small for Judas. He likely started by stealing just a little bit of money out of the treasure, as the treasurer, and then grew desensitized over time, falling into deeper sin with each time. I'd be curious to find out if he had even thought through a plan for what to do after turning Jesus in. In today's value... The silver that he took to betray Jesus is only worth around $300. So it definitely wasn't him trying to make a fortune. However, it was him trying to make another dollar. I'm sure many of you have heard the verse Mark eight thirty six. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? By storing up riches in the world... Judas demonstrated that he was not eternally minded. He saw and heard what being a follower of Jesus had to offer, but he settled for less than eternity. We are told in verse 27 that that Satan had entered into him. Satan had been targeting Judas for a long time. His love of money was the foothold, and Judas had finally accepted the deal. John records Judas leaving supper at this time. Jesus brings Judas into the light and Judas retreats into the dark. The last verse of that section says it was night, and perhaps Judas had experienced daylight for the last time. In verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify in himself." Now, God is glorified in this moment because the ultimate purpose that Jesus was born had arrived. The purpose of being the expression of God's mercy and grace on the cross, which would bring salvation to the world. What's interesting is that he states this after Judas leaves. It was the beginning of the end for Jesus. Through Judas leaving, it was the commencement for being led to the cross. And he was using his remaining time to serve and prepare his faithful disciples, rather than thinking of himself. What he says here, where I'm going you cannot come, is brought up again and better explained later in this chapter, and again in chapter 14, which we will look at next week. Essentially, Jesus tells them that they cannot go where he goes yet, because he had to go before them to prepare the way. We also see that God was not done using them on earth through the rest of this gospel and the other books of the New Testament, for they also had the purpose of the Great Commission, which was spreading the gospel. With this new commandment that Jesus says, we see that to love as Jesus loves is a testimony of our faith as true believers. Jesus wasn't necessarily creating a new uh, commandment for his disciples. Rather, he was representing God's heart in a new and fresh way that would resonate with them. Now, why didn't he just say, just as I have loved you, you are to love all people? After all, we just talked about loving our enemies. Well, the genuine love that Jesus' followers have for one another is one of the things that makes the Christian faith attractive. This form of love is unlike any other, and it's a hallmark of the Christian walk that people from the outside should recognize and desire to partake in. I've heard this said about the perception people have of real life and I can testify that it's one of the things that drew me into this community initially. You really won't find this sort of love outside of the, you know, small Christian community like real life out there in the real world. I work at UPS <laughs> and it's quite shocking every day how different the community is here versus the community in a workplace. And I have a couple of my coworkers here and they could probably say the exact same thing. So don't take it for granted. And if you aren't integrated into this community yet, take a step forward. Get to know people because you're going to experience something here that you may not have ever experienced before. If we go back to verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In this last section of chapter 13, we see another form of betrayal, this time by Simon Peter. But whereas Judas's betrayal was planned and deliberate, Peter's denial wasn't. It was an emotional response. Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples, and he's prevalent throughout the Gospels and was a persistent and faithful follower of Jesus. So it's heartbreaking and a great warning to us when we see that even he slips up. He had a haughty spirit, and he eventually cuts off Malchus' ear when the Romans come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets scolded for his approach of violence and soon after, while following Jesus after his arrest, does deny Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. Now I have a question for you. When do roosters crow? In the morning, if they're normal. If they don't crow in the morning, they get made into enchiladas. (laughs) (laughs) No. Now, the rooster crow is interesting because if you reflect on what was mentioned back in verse 30, it ends with, it was night. And that means that Peter denies Jesus all three times within a 12-hour period. At the start of this chapter, it was night. And by the time that Peter denies him, it wasn't even the next morning yet. Remember that, Peter, remember that guy that Peter sliced the ear off of? Well, he even denied Jesus in front of that guy's cousin who was there and saw Peter cut off the ear. <laughs> so admitting to follow Jesus was certain admitting to follow Jesus was certainly a risk and it was one that he was not willing to take. He fought in the garden, but he feared at that moment. After the third denial, the rooster crowed. Peter immediately remembered what Jesus said and he broke down and wept from conviction. Now, Judas and Peter both experienced guilt. But whereas Peter returned to Jesus, we are told that Judas returned to the Jews, the Pharisees, and tried to return the money to them because he was feeling so awful. But he did not return to Jesus. Rather, he continued to spiral away from him. And eventually, we find out that he commits suicide. Now, I believe Jesus would have forgiven Judas. His betrayal may have sealed Jesus' fate, but not his own. No one is too far gone that they can't turn to Jesus. Cory Ten Boom once said that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. After Jesus' resurrection, rather than asking Peter to confess his sin, Peter is asked three times, "Do you love me?" God's heart wasn't to have Peter caught up in his shortcomings and beat himself up for days after he let him down. He just wanted Peter to confess his love and be all in. This was used as a humbling lesson for Peter. It takes boldness to proclaim the gospel and to be a follower of Christ, something that he would come to know well as a missionary and eventually being a martyr for the faith. Now, you're probably wondering what was up with the chicken and the pig question at the start and maybe why I'm wearing this shirt. Um, Before I get to that, though, I also want to give a shout out to that um, merch contest, because that's originally actually how this shirt came to be. I entered a merch contest, and I lost horribly. But I designed this shirt, and I still wear it every once in a while. (laughs) Now, if you're a business major, do we have any business majors in here? All right. Now, you might be familiar with the fable of the chicken and the pig. And you might be wondering, like, what's a fable? Well, it's basically just an analogy. And I first heard it when I was in Iwana during high school, and it's stuck with me ever since. So I wanted to share it with you guys tonight. So it goes like this. A chicken and a pig are friends. They decide they want to start a business. Because they both liked food, they thought, let's start a restaurant. While brainstorming ideas for what to name their restaurant, the chicken proposed to call it bacon and eggs. The pig contemplated this idea. He then said, well, for you, that would involve a small sacrifice. But for me, it would involve total commitment. You see, the chicken is involved by producing a daily egg. Whereas the pig, however, must be fully committed. All in. Our commitment to Christ must be more than mere involvement in church. It must involve our whole life. Just attending church on Sundays is the equivalence of giving a daily egg. When we come to Christ, we must be willing to live out our walk in total commitment. We must be all in. Being all in does not mean not failing. It's about the heart. It means to be invested in a relationship with him to be a disciple of him. So I ask you, will you lay down your life for Jesus, cast aside your worldly life, and present yourself as a living sacrifice to glorify him? I think we would all like to say that we are all in. But like Peter, it can be tempting to overestimate our capacity to serve. As Christians, we are not guaranteed an easy life. In fact, as we will read in John 16 in a couple of weeks, Jesus says we will have tribulation in the world, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. As Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when hardship arises or that it's uncomfortable to profess following him. In actuality, we should be concerned if we aren't experiencing social pressures, facing attack, and going against the grain of culture. It should be uncomfortable to stand against the immorality so common in our world. We are human, and there are going to be times that we mess up. Judas, Peter, and the rest of the disciples did too. What matters is what we do next. Turn to Jesus or flee from him. Let us not forget that it wasn't Judas that sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died for our sins. If you're here and you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity tonight. Judas shows that we can know in our brain who Jesus is without making him Lord of our lives. The Lord knows where you stand, even if the people around you do not. God searches man's heart. Don't settle for less than eternity. Don't harden your heart to the gospel. Worship band, you can come back up. Now we, can, we cannot earn salvation on our own. No amount of good works Can exonerate our sins. What we do deserve is judgment. God is perfect and just. And because we have all trespassed his laws. There is a fine that must be paid. Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. God sent his son to pay that fine for us. So we wouldn't have to. The death sentence we deserved, Jesus took upon himself to wipe away the sins of the world. Salvation is a free gift that only comes from trusting Jesus died for you and rose again three days later, claiming victory over death and sin. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Repent from your sins and follow him. So don't wait. There's no no more an opportune time than now. None of us know when we're going to die. Rid yourself of the burden of not knowing what happens next and call upon him who saves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you again for this opportunity to be together as a community tonight, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for all of the people here, Lord, who have not placed their trust in you yet. And Lord, I just pray that they would consider taking that step that they haven't uh, taken. Maybe they're considering it for the first time. Or maybe they've been here for three years, following you, hearing your teachings. Lord, I just pray that their heart would be open to you, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to them in a new way. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, you have nothing to lose. You see, it's not a burden to be a follower of Jesus. It brings so much freedom and so much love and I just pray that you would see that and um, how much Jesus loves you. And he died on the sin, he died on the cross for our sins. And that's just a crazy thing to wrap our minds around. But we want to pray for you tonight. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask them. There's no better place to get the answers. And uh, Lord, I just want to lift up all of these people here tonight. And uh, Lord, that you'd keep them safe on the way home. Lord, that you'd continue to speak to them, Lord, after they leave the community tonight, Lord. After they leave the presence of your word, Lord, I just pray that they would dig deeper, Lord. That they would seek you. Lord, that they would seek to know you and to develop a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, we're going to have people up along the sides, and uh, let's all stand up and worship.